0: I'm Jack Moylan, and you're listening to Let's Talk Business, a podcast geared towards young professionals served with the side of witty commentary. At Lutz, we rally around the mantra Make Light, meaning be lighthearted, illuminate solutions, and create energy. We hope this episode will do just that. Let's make the complex simple. Alright, welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Business. Today we're gonna to be talking about the business of children and find you know. Paying for them and, and kind of getting yourself in a position financially where you're prepared to have them. So, here with me again is Lutz Financial Director Nick Hall. Nick, it's good to see you again. Good to talk to you. How are things?
1: Everything's good. It's been, I can't believe it's mid August, Jack. It's yeah. summer's gone by fast. So, but no, thanks for having me back. Yeah. I should have a decent amount of intel here. Uh, we have an almost four year old and almost two year old. So, this is fresh. This topic's fresh <laughs> yeah. with my wife and I. So. I was
0: gonna say this yeah. might give you some little PTSD. Yeah. I guess. But I, don't, I guess I don't know if you can get PTSD if you're still in it right now. But hey, well, you know, what? we're we're living it right yeah. now. For so, sure. Well, let's. I mean, you know, can you maybe just walk us through your experience and and maybe what you would do differently, if, if anything, or you know, if you have any tips initially just to start planning for those next steps if you're thinking about maybe having kids sometime soon.
1: Yeah, no, there's, I mean, obviously there are their personal considerations with kids, but a big piece of this, and sometimes things are planned and sometimes they aren't, but I mean, having a baseline knowledge of what you're kind of getting yourself into is helpful. You know, on the financial side of things, having children is, is a pretty big commitment. I, I looked up a you know I've read a couple studies and I've looked up a few things and you know on average in a couple of one and I'm just giving ballpark numbers but you know a couple of studies that I've read basically from like 1 to 18 you could spend you know middle class family could spend somewhere in the ballpark of $15,000 a year or you know over a course of 18 years it's you know let's call it 275,000 right. on a child and that does not include college right, right. which is a which is a huge expense so from the financial, on the wealth management side of things, when I'm working with younger couples, that's that's something to definitely consider because big, a big one that is obviously housing, education costs, Whether and even if you're going to a public school for elementary and high school, right. there's activities, whether it be volleyball or, or football or dance or baseball, hockey, you name it, camps in the summer that can add up. Those all have yeah, fees to pay. Yeah, yeah, those aren't free, even <laughs> yeah. though you know uh, tuition may be free at right. school. So, food is another one. Yeah. Uh, I don't know about you, but I was a garbage disposal. Oh say, yeah. <laughs> middle school and high school, and Absolutely. you know the the food bills, the grocery bills, especially with you know the last we're talking. I think we talked about this. I think even with the housing webcast last time with inflation, and you know the those costs are up for for. Food and groceries and things mm-hmm. like that. So, that's a huge expense on the, the food and the lodging, and right. that's something that you know I don't think people necessarily kind of know off the top of their head. But I mean, I'm giving you ballpark numbers. You know, you could be looking at fifteen thousand dollars a year, and that and that could be light depending on you know daycare and and especially those first couple of years, or on the back end if you have teenagers that are in more activities, they're driving. Uh, you could paying for insurance on auto, I mean, there's kind of runs the gamut, but there's not, there's going to be expenses you can't hide, I guess, at mm-hmm. the point.
0: Yeah. Well, and one, an article that I read was, uh, and again, these numbers, you know, I really have no idea how accurate they are, but you can count on spending any, you know, close to 50 bucks a week on just diapers, formula, and baby food you oh, know, alone. Sure. And yeah. I'm sure that's on the lower end of things, right? No,
1: for sure. It's, uh, you know, I, we, my wife and I, we shop at, Costco for diapers, Uh but even a 160 pack of diapers there is, you know, let's call it $50. And that may last with the the littler the children are, you know, they go through quite a few diapers a day as they get older, they're going through through fewer and fewer, but it is kind of a, you know, it's a, they, they don't eat maybe quite as much when they're little. And you may have higher costs for diapers, but then when they're older, they're going to be eating more. (laughs) So that, you are like I said, you're not really, you're not really avoiding some of these expenses, but no, I think diapers is a big one formula. I mean, that all kind of adds into, I would call that baking that into kind of that, let's call it, that number is thousand dollars a month. $1,200 a month is about kind of that level of to get to that $15,000 a year. Mm -hmm. And that can include daycare. That can include food. That can include diapers. Right. You name it, and right. it, the expenses just dif-
0: differ as they get older. Well, and that's the thing that's interesting to me. And again, I don't know exactly, but is how you know wide the range can be of uh, you've mentioned uh, childcare. So yeah. like daycare. I mean, you can, you know, what I, I've heard three, four, five hundred dollars every two weeks.
1: Yeah, you know, and for personal experience, my kids go down this. They go to La Petite. Right down the street on one hundred and forty fourth in California, and it's. I would say when we looked, I think some of these at home daycares might be co- some cheaper. When we looked, we wanted a, a facility that had a, probably a little bit more flexibility that we we're able to take the kids. And you know, that's one consideration that you have to make is like, hey, if can we? W- what are the drop off times or how? I mean, our our daycares open from six to six, which is nice for us. But my wife, she's Kylie. She's worked three days a week and. And I'd say this is probably an average facility Mm -hmm. in Omaha, at least out in West Omaha where we're at. We pay $450 every week for three days a week for two kids. Got it. So you get a little bit of a discount. I think we get a 10% discount for the second child. Right. But it's not significant. So if you do that math, I mean, three days a week, $450 a week, that's, I mean, you're not going to... yeah, you're not going two thousand dollars a month. Yeah, I mean, and that's part time. Right. And one thing I noticed with the daycare costs is basically four days a week is full time. Okay. So you're not getting a discount if you're going four days versus five days at right. most places. You do get a small discount on three days a week, but it's not sixty percent of the full time. It's probably closer to eighty percent. Right. So we we're still paying more probably more per day than if they were going full time, mm-hmm. but I mean, I, like I said, I've seen places that, you know, they've ranged from $175 a week for one child to up to $400 a week. Right. And that's kind of the the extreme, the, you know, the Montessori type, you yeah. know, higher end facility, but it's a substantial cost. I yeah. Mean, like for two kids, I ran the numbers. I mean, we're probably, like I said, 25000 a year. Jeez. So it, it's significant for yeah. sure. and. And you think and I thought about this and it's like, hey, if they were send we'd send them to to non private school and public, you know, elementary school. We don't necessarily have tuition, but here we, we're we're in Millard. Mm-hmm. So you're where you're living and you're paying property tax, you're paying other taxes, that kind of dictates potentially yeah, right. I mean you may be paying a little more in property taxes to be in the school district that you want. Right. So I don't know that it's necessarily free. Right. And there's other expenses for activities and things, so it's not necessarily free per se. Did
0: you go to private school growing up?
1: I, I went to private elementary and private high school. Got yeah. it. Okay. And you know, I, I I'd say we were looking. You know, we looked at both options, and we're still right. trying to decide. But still early. I mean, still, I think, really? I mean yeah. you're still
0: kind of maybe a, few, a couple of years from that decision. Or? Yeah, we're
1: a couple of years from that decision. But even you know, I looked around and the private. Private elementary school in Omaha is, you know, let's call it four to five grand right. a year,
0: right?
1: which is cheaper than the, you know, 12 to 15,000 for daycare. But then <laughs> there's other, like I said, there's the activities yeah, types right. of expenses that you have to factor in as well.
0: So back, back me up a little bit on the actual, you know, when you're pregnant, when you go to deliver the baby, what are those expenses right away kind of look like? I yeah, mean, obviously I'm sure you hit your deductible pretty quickly. Yeah,
1: and- yeah no, that's, you know, hopefully... Yeah, your spouse, everybody that there's a fairly decent pregnancy, and there's not right. a lot of health concerns. Right. right. But you would be working with an OB to kind of walk you through that. You know, once you find out that you're pregnant, all the way to that hopefully that nine month phase before or you know, your due date. Right. So you have you have regular check ins there. Um, there's tests. There's ultrasounds. Like you said, you, you may hit your deductible pretty quickly there. When you go to actually talk about the cost of having a child, I mean, it depends on whether or not it's a natural birth or if it's a C-section and how many nights you are in the, the hospital also is depend, uh, basically plays into that. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're fortunate enough to have a, a pretty healthy baby that was close to due date and there's no other really lingering concerns, that you don't have to have the child go to NICU, it's mm-hmm. going to be cheaper. Mm-hmm. But even even that, I mean, I, I look at both of our, both of you know, we had one kid at Bergen and we had one at Methodist Women's Hospital out west, and you know, let's call it seven to nine thousand dollars for childbirth. So it's Jeez. it's it's fairly significant. Now, if you hit your deductible, and you know, we're fortunate at lots to have a, a pretty good insurance right. plan where. You know we we don't have any once we hit the deductible don't have any coinsurance but mm-hmm. that's something to, to look at especially as you're planning to, to look at if you have spouses and you and your spouse are on different your your own respective health insurance through your employer just understanding how that would work in the event uh, that you do have a, a child and it's like hey you should probably take that into consideration if you especially if you're planning in terms of what would your deductible be before the insurance starts paying right. for any of those costs, and then from a co-insurance standpoint, you know, and, and i in our example, you know, let's pick up everything after the deductible. But if you had to pick up twenty, if, if your insurance company only picked up eighty percent up to uh, they, all these all these insurance plans have max out of pockets, right. which is the max that you would have to pay. But knowing, hey, what would what potentially could be the max out of pocket if we had a you know a NICU type situation or several days in the hospital type situation where right. we hadn't hit our deductible up until that point. Right. And and on that line, it's like and this is and you're seeing this more and more on that same topic, health savings accounts or mm-hmm. HSAs are becoming more popular. You have to have a qualifying high deductible health plan in order to contribute to an HSA. But I always tell people in the year that you're giving birth, you're gonna hit probably at the deductible. You're probably gonna have additional out-of-pocket costs. I'd suggest running any of these related expenses through an HSA. And the reason there is you get a you get a tax deduction. It's an above the line deduction. So for example, if you made $100,000 a year, you know, the, the, the maximum you can contribute to an HSA between for a family plan mm-hmm. is $7,300 for okay. 2022. So if you had seventy three $7,000 worth of expenses or, you know, I think LUTs are deductible is, uh, you know, I'm probably going to butcher this, somewhere around 6000 you know, if you had to pick up the first 6000 you know, run that through an HSA because that, if you're in that example where you made $100,000 a year, it's going to come right off your income. So it's going to show that you only made 94000 much like a pre-tax 401k, Right. so versus and you can you can basically use the HSA as a park short-term parking spot. So for example, if you didn't have that amount in your health savings account already or you didn't have enough going through payroll, mm-hmm. you can always go to your bank or whoever whoever houses the HSA and make a one-time deposit. It doesn't actually have to that's kind of a misnomer on those. Right. It doesn't have to come through payroll. Right. You can just say, "Hey, I want to make a lump sum deposit." But the the max between your employer contributions if the employer does contribute to it Mm -hmm. and then the the employee deferral is 7300 for a family and then if you're over which is not probably common in this scenario but if you're over 55 and you're having kids i mean you technically for an hsa you can do an additional thousand if you're over age 55 so it'd be 8300 in that example got it but yeah that that'd be one that from a tax standpoint hey i'd max out an hsa Mm -hmm. and running to those related expenses through there because the government's going to help kind of pay for some of that for you
0: well there's some other benefits too to maxing out your hsa contribution not only you know just some tax benefits you know not only with with taking care of some of these health expenses but also i think there's a credit out there if you max out your contribution
1: yeah Um, so it's just the deduction basically you get that deduction that it comes right off it's above the line so right so it's 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 one of the best it's a, you get a you get a tax deduction on the front end, but it's a federal deduction, which is which is big. Right. So, you know, if you get if you're in the let's say combined, you know, Fed and state, let's call it twenty five percent tax rate, you know, that's in that example you're saving twenty five cents on a dollar and seventy three hundred. I mean that's that's significant. That's a couple of grand of savings almost. And on an ongoing basis with kids, you know, they're gonna see the pediatricians, you're yeah. gonna have checkups that especially those first few years you are gonna have shots and you're gonna i mean you're gonna have probably more expenses than you had if you're a healthy couple before before having the children right right? so any other additional health related expenses you know every year that basically january january one that resets itself Mm. from a deductible standpoint so you're having to pick up or i'm assuming that the the health plan starts over on the calendar year you basically have to start that over so, you know, continue to make HSA contributions and, right. and run any related medical
0: expenses through that will help on an ongoing basis as well. What are some other expenses that that maybe people aren't, I mean, you know, it's easy to think of diapers and food and the doctor bills, but I saw one listed here in this article that was talking about, you know, your benefits. Take a look at your benefits and I'm sure maybe life insurance is something you yeah. now revisit, right? No,
1: that's that's a great, great point. You know, I always say... At a minimum. The need for kids, when we talk about comprehensive planning in our department, and, you know, the, the planning itself becomes much more complex when you throw kids into the mix. Sure. Life insurance is a big one. The need for life insurance, I always like to recommend, you know, the baseline is to take a look and for spouses to probably look at at least, you know, 10 years worth of your salary as a replacement. So in, the, in our example, if you're $100,000 a year, you know, looking at and the cheapest way to get insurance, and what we typically recommend, just because the need generally in this example is, is, is a temporary need, mm-hmm. is term insurance. It's the cheapest outlay from a premium standpoint to get the most amount of death benefit to basically protect against a, a catastrophic scenario where mm-hmm. an untimely death, where one spouse dies and we have, one kid or multiple children that we have to provide for 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 any number of time so i you know i use that that 10 years kind of as just a baseline okay um some some instances it, it could be more if you have one spouse that's not working right on the on the earning spouse you might need more than the 10 years right but that that's certainly a consideration and i if you're a young 30 year old couple i'd probably look at some 20 to 30 year term insurance because as I, as I tell people that come in here and clients, it's the need for insurance hopefully over time as your balance sheet grows, as the kids get older and mm-hmm. off the payroll or they're through to college, the need for life insurance is probably less and less as you get older. Right. That That's one, and I, and I have clients that ask, if somebody is already pregnant, generally you have to wait know, six to eight weeks or so after the pregnancy be, to become insurable mm. for the, in this case, the the, the, the the female to become insurable for life insurance. So you're not if you're already pregnant, that they're, they're the insurance companies are it's too big of a risk. They're not going to underwrite you while you're pregnant. Sure. So it takes a couple of weeks at or yeah a couple of weeks after the pregnancy Got to it. to be to actually apply for life insurance. But even on spouses and it could be you know male female regardless of what it is that is that is staying at home, mm-hmm. especially with a couple of kids. I recommend. Term life insurance, even if they're not earning a wage per se, right? Because I'll take for example, if we had a you know stay at home dad or stay at home mom, and the other the other spouse is the higher earner, or the breadwinner. You know, you may have two or three kids that mom or dad is shuttling them to practices, right? You know, doing all this other stuff that the, the you would have to a spouse higher earner spouse would have to probably hire some help mm-hmm. in the event that that other <clears> spouse passed away. So I like to see some level of insurance, even on a, a, on a, call them a, a stay-at-home parent mm-hmm. or a homemaker, just because. And, and, you know, hey, I tell people, God forbid something happened to you and you had two little kids, you might want to take six months and find yourself. Right. Right. And that having some insurance on this non-income
0: earning spouse well, would help provide some flexibility there. Totally. Should something happen. What I mean, what can you get a good Term life insurance policy for anymore is it? I mean, I know it's hard to say. But... Yeah,
1: it's hard to say. I mean, with with health, it, it all varies based on right. health screening and, and various things. But a healthy, you know, a thirty year old healthy person, you know, you could probably get a uh, you know a million dollars of term life insurance for you know well under a thousand dollars a year. So it's. Got it it's not a huge premium outlay from that standpoint right. The insurance company is hoping that you don't die that they're they're right. betting that you're not gonna die during yeah, that that, exactly. that term period that 30 year period so right. it's pretty inexpensive for the level of coverage that you know an accident type scenario that sure. that they could and I always say hey insurance is it's it's to provide liquidity at a time of need mm-hmm. a period end of story and In this instance yeah that helps provide some liquidity at a time of need and you know if, if for example you wanted to cover at the you know 10 years I always like to account for the fact that hey if you had a mortgage I'd probably want this and you had three kids and I, I you don't you have a lower entering spouse or one that's not earning a wage I probably want additional amount of term coverage to basically pay off that mortgage to allow you know some of that that other surviving spouse some breathing room yep so I mean because they're gonna have to it's gonna be a huge shock. Obviously, emotionally, but from a financial standpoint, that really helps. Is probably their biggest expense mm-hmm. uh, on on a monthly basis is the mortgage. So, being able to knock that out is, is kind of key. Sure. Uh, so that's 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 a great question. In consideration certainly the the insurance and making sure that's kind of dialed in. Right. Also, the one that people kind of forget about is disability insurance. Sure. Yeah you're much you're statistically much more likely to become disabled during your working years than you are to pass away. Right. So for higher earning spouses or even those that couples that they both work having some long-term disability insurance that helps pay should there be a, you know, car wreck or coma type scenario or a, uh, a disability type scenario where somebody's, you know, paralyzed, mm-hmm. a situation where they're not able to work. Having that in place to help to provide some income is, is, is important as right. well, because there again, you're trying to replace income, lost income. Right. I probably did a lot of talking there, but it, this is sort of it related as well. And you, you asked kind of on your initial question, going back to that, about what are the things that you can kind of pre-plan for? Mm-hmm. Kids, as I mentioned, they complicate this whole comprehensive planning picture one thing i would recommend to young folks and we see this all the time where they come in they may have two kids and they could have kids our age our kids age or even older mm-hmm. and they don't have an estate plan sure making sure you have w- wills and maybe revocable trusts or power of attorneys that specifically spell out what would happen if one or both spouses passed away right in terms of you know you'll want to set you want to you want to name a guardian um, to who would be responsible for the children from a, you know, a welfare standpoint and you're know, making sure that they're going to school. I mean, it's, that, that's the role of the guardian is kind of raise the children. Mm-hmm. The trustee, in that example, you know, children, minor children cannot get assets outright. So there would be, even if there was a will, there, there may be a springing trust in place of God forbid, but something happened to both spouses. Sure. So naming a trustee to be kind of the gatekeeper of those funds. And, and oftentimes I recommend that those people are separate from the guardian. Just kind of check, separate church and state, if you will. Mm-hmm. But that that's a big one. Um, naming, having a, something in place. Because I tell people that come in, if you don't have a will or a trust in place, you know, the state of Nebraska has one for you. It's called Intestate. And then you're probably not how you want things to flow. Right. So having your a, a will, and even if it's a simple will, I mean, where if one spouse passes, it goes to the surviving spouse. Having that in place and power of attorneys in place to kind of act if, in the event that somebody becomes incapacitated, both from a financial and a, and a medical or healthcare standpoint, right. is important.
0: Yeah. And those are all. Those are all things that cost money. Yeah. Right? Getting yeah. those put in place, whether they're a nominal fee or not, I mean, it's going to you know be something you need to prepare for.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, an estate plan, like I said, even on just a will and power of attorneys, and if you add in a trust, it may be a little bit more, more complex. You're probably looking anywhere between 1000 to 2500 depending on how complex it is, just for a basic plan. Yeah, right. And who's doing it. But, yeah, that's that's certainly a consideration that, that I would have buttoned up. Yeah. Uh, you always hear people, oh, yeah, you know, I'm going on a big vacation or i'm going to ireland to watch nebraska i better make sure my will is updated it's like <laughs> it's like, god for I me mean, you, you see it though it's yeah. like you know i i it's way better off to be overly more overly prepared than not and of course i've seen situations where it hasn't be, been accounted for right on the front end and it becomes kind of a, a pain and yeah. a hassle and people are dealing with that on top of a traumatic situation right, right. losing a parent or you know, family member or spouse, I mean, that's, that's the worst time to have to deal with something like yeah, that right. from a state administration standpoint.
0: Absolutely. Well, what about college savings? Because even though, you know, it's, it's an investment, it's still, you know, not it's spendable income. That's not, you know, that you don't have access to while you're saving. So yeah. like what, when do you start
1: typically and how's that look? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I would tell, I tell my clients, you know, first and foremost, when I'm working with, with couples, and I'm doing planning for them. I say, hey, we need to get Mama Bear and Papa Bear on first meeting. You know, I would first focus on four hundred one k's, on on Roth IRAs, emergency savings accounts, that, that those type of those type of vehicles sure. before I I look at some college. Now, somebody may have the goal of, by God, I want to get kids through school without debt, and that's that's a tremendous. That's a, that's a tremendous benefit and mm-hmm. gift to children, but I, I, I say, you know, they're just, it may be at the expense of working a few extra years, right, or, you know, really, really hitting it hard after the kids have gotten through school from a, from a retirement standpoint, you just, the earlier you start resaving for your own retirement, you know, the compounding is going to work for you. It's a lot. <laughs> the The... the Analogy, it's, it's a lot easier to finance education than it's retirement, right? Yeah. You, you can't once you're retired. I mean, you have to, it, it's you have to, it's a finite pool of funds. Yeah. Right. Unless you decide to go back to work or something along those lines, but it's 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 the kids have much more time to be able to finance that or pay that down than than parents do in their retirement years. So, that's a great
0: point yeah once that big it's off yeah, it's off <laughs> yeah yeah now you're in the distribution yeah, phase right. and it's
1: like it's 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 hard to go back right? yeah so yeah I, I i would say that you know in terms of prioritization of savings i would look at you know 401ks and various other things before we start talking about college savings sure. per se but if you have enough disposable income you know certainly for college the best vehicles that we that that we've you know done the due diligence and you know En- enough research on our five twenty nine plans is what we recommend to yeah. a lot of clients, and there again, like, there's a couple of reasons why five twenty nine plans are pretty popular amongst advisors like ourselves. It's you get the you get the for Nebraska, you can get up to a ten thousand dollars state tax deduction, so you get you get the tax benefit on the front end. They grow tax deferred like a four hundred one k, so if the mm-hmm. dividends and interest along the way are not taxed. And then, as long as it's used for qualified education expenses, and that's pretty broad. It's tuition, got it, books, room and board, laptops, you know, other f- related fees related to, sc- and pretty much it could be it could be metro, it could be, you know, trade schools, it could be four year schools or private, right. four year school four state schools or private universities. It's pretty broad in what it could be used for. As long as it's used for a qualified education expense, there's no taxes on the back end. Got it. So you have the triple tax savings, much like the. The HSA that we talked about earlier—you yeah. don't get the benefit of it federally tax-deductible for yeah. 529s. It's it's dependent upon your state. Uh, some states don't have state income taxes, so that's kind of a moot point on the sure. on the upfront deduction. But they are incredibly efficient vehicles from a tax standpoint. The other, you know, benefit of 529 plans is that hey, if you get a child that gets through school, and you have kids two and three, kind of coming down the road, you can always transfer the balance from one children to another, so you can transfer between family members. Mm-hmm. You don't actually have to take the funds out. It's only, the, the funds, they're only taxable should you take the funds out and it's not used for a qualified education expense. And there's no there's no time frame as to when you actually have to pull funds out either. So if you get you know, child number three through school and there's you know, 30000 or 40000 left on a 529 plan... You can, you can let that marinate in there and just continue to grow and it can be used for the next generation. Sure. But you can invest it. So there's, they're, they're extremely flexible. You know, the other, the tax standpoint, the flexibility to be able to transfer from family members is a huge deal. And then I would also say the control. So this is a big one in my mind. So, you know, 529 plants, you know, these old uniform transfer to minor account, which is basically like a brokerage account for a minor. Okay. Where you have a parent or a grandparent's custodian on the account until that minor is the age of majority. So, 19 in the state of Nebraska. Okay. They maintain control up to that point. At that point, you know, legally, they no longer have the control. So, huh. the, ch- the child would gain access to those funds at age 19 or the age of majority. Or at a minimum, the age of declaration is 21 so that that is the last point at which those have to be transferred so i don't know about you but if you had a hundred thousand dollars in a 520 or sorry a utma or a transfer to minors account and you're 19 or you're 21 you might not have made the most financially savvy decisions <laughs> yeah. with 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 that money versus a 529 plan even though that's kind of been already gifted right. and it's for the benefit of a child or a grandchild the custodian, in that example, still maintain maintains control. So, Got it. Okay. Uh, grand grandchild or child can't go to Cabo or sure you know, buy a you know a new Range Rover with uh, those funds. I mean, yeah. it's they're 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 somewhat locked up for for control purposes, which is a huge deal. Yeah, you, I think you, know, you asked about savings, and sometimes you can use. A uniform transfer to minor account for you know high school or something, other expenses where you're kind of investing those funds more so than just uh, it's sitting in a general savings account and having that grow for you. Right. One thing to keep in mind on those type of brokerage accounts for minors is you're allowed a certain amount of interest on those accounts mm. before the dividends and interest or capital gains starts getting taxed at the parent's tax rate. Got it. So you might try to think that, hey, I'm being savvy or smart by, you know, throwing all this money into a brokerage account for my child and then taking distributions instead of taking it on a, in a brokerage account in your name, Right. but it's pretty nominal amount. It's called a kiddie tax, but okay. if it, I think the number for this 2022 is if you have more than $2,300 of unearned income from a, for under a child's name, because mm-hmm. these accounts are technically under the child's social. If you have more than that $2,300, the income or the capital gains Gets taxed at the parents' rate right. versus the child's rate. I Got think it. the first eleven $1, fifty is zero taxes. The next eleven $1, fifty is taxed at the the minor child's tax rate. But anything above above that is taxed at the parents' tax rate. So you you can't. There's not really that tax rate arbitrage. Yeah, you know, yeah. Right. Where hey, if I'm my parents are the parents are in the top tax bracket, thirty seven percent on the federal side they may try to shield some of that and put it into the kid's name. Well, you're managed. really not going to be able to get a ton of income out at that that lower rate. It's going right. to basically be taxed at the parent's rate. And that's that kitty tax is implemented because of that reason, right? Yeah. They don't want people abusing that system. Same, I mean, yeah, same
0: reason we've got a maximum contribution to an HSA. I mean, yeah. all those rules that are in place to say, hey, can't take advantage of it.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, it's... Uh, but that's... Th- those are a little bit more... Th- those... Y- y- there is not a... Mandate that it have to be used for education on these minor accounts So you could use it and even 529s even if it's used for a non-qualified education expense And I have clients that have gotten kids through where they get a scholarship for example You can pull the if it's not used for a qualified education expense generally the rule is you have to pay Ordinary income taxes plus a 10% penalty on the gains only got it so in our example if there was $40,000 left in a 529 plan at the end and let's just say 20,000 of that was contributions or basis, you'd only be taxed on the $20,000 of gain and a 10% of penalty on that $20,000, not the full 40,000 in that example. No, oh, you're only taxed it at all on that 20.
0: Yeah, Not, yeah. not on the original contribution. Correct, okay. correct.
1: Yeah, so it's, and if you get a, if a child gets a scholarship, you can always pull the amount of the scholarship out right. free of that 10% penalty. So it Got would right. only be income taxes on the gain portion only. And the other thing on that is, hey, if and you know, i've had people where they say hey congratulations you got through school you got grants or scholarships you did a great job you know you can just you don't have to actually pull the money back to the parents tax rate you can actually push it to that 22 year old who might only be making you know 45,000 that's in a much lower tax rate than than the parents right, right. so 529 is extremely flexible mm-hmm. uh, the utma accounts i think there's some Maybe some benefit if you're saving for college. I would definitely steer people towards the 529 plans for sure. And then the other one is, you know, if you're saving for 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 the child, if they have earned income, one thing that people I don't a lot of people know is, as long as the child has earned income, whether it be a you know summer job or they're working at High V or you name it, scooters. They can contribute to a minor Roth IRA, so basically it's like a minor brokerage account, really? but it, you have the benefits of a Roth IRA where it's, it's it's after tax, but everything and everything all growth contributions later when they when you go to pull it out later it's, it's all tax tax free. tax free which is a huge deal if somebody's only you know fifteen or yeah. eighteen years old so and the contribution limits are the same it's up to six thousand for people under age fifty on those really but. Yeah, that I mean that's a great vehicle and it you could have where for example, you know a child is, has a summer job makes $5,000 of income, you can go up to that 5,000 or if they made 10,000 you go up to 6,000. That's it. the max. And it doesn't actually have to come from the child per se, right? You can the right. child could be using that for you know, I'm gonna make up their dance classes for a Nebraska dance and they're helping pay for some of that. Right. The parents could actually just make the contribution to the child. Got it. You know, it's it's under the gifting limits that you can give to the individual for for a year, which is sixteen thousand. But you could just put pump money into a, a minor Roth IRA, which is a huge deal for huge a young, deal. A, a it young early with Yeah, time. for yeah. sure. And then you just have the power of compounding.
0: Yeah. Which so. is huge. Yeah. I mean you see that all the time. Everyone's like well, if I would have started when I was
1: 25, if you could start when you're 15, I mean, that'd be... Yeah, you know, there's the the compounding just working harder for you. That I mean, you, we have a chart that we show people that shows, hey, you know, how much do I have to save at, and I think it, it shows people at increments of every five years, how mm-hmm. much do I have to save to have a million dollars at age 65, Yeah. given a, you know, a pretty standard growth rate, and the amount per month that you have to contribute or annually they have to contribute when you start that young is much much less than much less 40 45 50. you right. have to really hit it hard at those later years to get to that same spot at age
0: 65. totally totally well what else i mean i think is 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 there any any number you think someone should kind of be prepared to have before they have a kid i know it's hard to say because there's so many you know things that can come up but. yeah
1: you know i think there's some things additional kids so the first child right you have you have to buy a crib clothes everything the incremental every additional child you have i would say there's probably some sort of discount sure. you're cheaper by the dozen technically you know you're going to have hand me downs and things like that so i'd say that first child is probably incrementally be more than the, sure. the second and third You'll, you'll get a somewhat of a discount because you can share some of the things that you purchased for the first children. Probably but, more efficient too. But, but yeah, you're more efficient. You know, say some things that we potentially don't necessarily need. Right. But for, you know, for that average middle-class person, I think you're probably looking, I mean, on average, use that $15,000 a year. You know, over 18 years, that 15000 comes to 270000 It's a substantial number. Mm-hmm. So kind of working that into your budget, hey, this from a budgeting standpoint, does this still allow us to hit our goals, like the contribution percentages to four hundred and one k's, the mortgage payments? I mean, the insurance, accounting for the fact that we may have additional life insurance. Right. Making sure you probably have that estate plan done. That's a big one. One that I didn't mention before was the the health the daycare mm-hmm. related expenses. You know, if you're fortunate enough from it, with your employer to have a dependent care flexible spending account, mm-hmm. you can pump $5,000 a year for a married couple into that flexible spending account. That helps pay for daycare-related expenses. Got it. And for Lutz, Lutz's example, I think we use Payflex. Got it. It's who we use as the provider. How that works is basically you pump an amount from your, your bi-monthly paycheck or how often you get paid. It goes to this account. Then you just have to show PayFlex. I had a receipt from Lopetit or wherever the provider is. Got it. Basically designated provider, and they just—it's a reimbursement. So it huh. reimburses you, and it's the the max that you can do is five thousand a year. Okay. But that that works just like that HSA, where it's a dollar for dollar deduction above the line. So in our example, where you made the hundred thousand a year you contribute to the HSA, that comes right off. But anything that you run, if you have a daycare related expenses, if you run that 5000 through the daycare mm-hmm. and just get reimbursed, that comes off your income as well. Got it. So that's, that's another tool in the toolkit if you have a, and that's called a dependent care FSA or okay. flexible spending account. The thing with those is with the nice thing about HSAs is you can roll those over from year to year. Flexible spending accounts, you have to, you basically have a, and they give you, they don't make you have to spend it by December 31st. Typically, usually there's a probationary period, whether that be a month or three months, where you actually have to have spent that money. Got it. So you want to probably calculate it out and you know, every so often, you know, submit that to the the provider. In this case, I, I mentioned PayFlex, who Lutz uses, but, and just submit that to the provider to get that pushed back to you. So Got you're not collecting a bunch at, and you're having to, you're not at the risk of losing those funds. Right,
0: right. So in other words, just make sure that you're you're only going to spend what you actually. C- correct.
1: That. For example, if you had a, you started daycare in November of that year, and you only have two months, you may not have the five thousand right. dollars worth of expenses, but you may want to do, two thousand or twenty five hundred or whatever the three thousand mm-hmm. dollars of costs you'll have for incrementally through through the end of the year, mm-hmm. and run that through the flexible spending account. But that's that's one way to help save. So these, there are some tools sure. as I mentioned, whether that be health related expenses, you know annual checkups, daycare related expenses that can help offset that. Another one that people don't may not be aware of is this child tax credit. Okay. so you used to have, get a you used to be able to count children as dependents. Now that's just a, a tax a flat tax credit. Okay. so it's a dollar for dollar credit fifteen hundred dollars of which is refundable per child. So it's a two thousand dollar credit for married filing co- joint couples up to four hundred thousand dollars of income or adjusted okay. gross income. So if you and your spouse had less than four hundred thousand of adjusted gross income and you had two children, you get a four thousand dollar tax credit. Hmm. And like I said, it's fifteen hundred dollars per child. So if you didn't have if you get a if you get a refund yeah. and you didn't have any tax liability owed, well this you'd still get in that example, you still get three thousand dollars added onto your income. If you had a liability, you could take the full four thousand and offset that liability dollar for dollar. Mm-hmm. So there, the, there are things that are in place. Last year, there was an enhanced tax credit with some of the, you know, American Family Plan Act that went into effect that was kind of in response to COVID. Sure. But th- these have been increased, I would say, over the last let's call it five six years since the tax cuts and Jobs Act right. in twenty seventeen. So. There is a benefit from a tax standpoint, that t- child tax credit. So there, there are some things that are that you can use. You, you, you would take that tax credit if you have children. You, you can use this dependent care FSA should you have access to one. You can use a health savings account. There are some vehicles that you can use to help kind of minimize some of this burden.
0: Sure, but you gotta know about them. But right? yeah, you gotta yeah. know how to use them and, and yeah. you gotta
1: do it. Yeah, and I would say a vast majority of people don't really probably know sure. the, t- these tools that they potentially have at their disposal. And that's kind of, you know, that's kind of the purpose of this 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 meeting or this webcast today is kind of avail people to some of these resources that, that they
0: may have. Over and over and over again, the consistent, regardless of what the topic is, if it's kids, if it's, you know, we talk about insurance or investments or this, or, I mean, it's when you have a life-changing event, review your benefits, understand them and what they're there for, but then also, you know, go back through and, and kind of review your budget and, and what you need to do and make sure you've got the correct things in place like insurance and an estate plan and, and, and that stuff, you know, make sure that you make the right changes to it.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, and I think with uh, couples or, or people that are looking at having their first child, I you just kind of understanding how it works within your financial situation. Mm-hmm. Children, it's a sacrifice emotionally, certainly financially. <laughs> There's, there's some things that you may, have, you may have to cut back on in other parts of your spending to make sure you're still doing the other things that, like I right. said, the 401k, the, the mortgage still being paid to pay additional amount for probably some life insurance that you may have had bef- if it were just you and your spouse. So mm-hmm. understanding how that works within your budget is important. And, you know, you may have to make sacrifices elsewhere. Maybe that you're, you may work a little bit longer. If you had two kids versus four, and that's a significant difference if we're using that two hundred seventy thousand yeah. dollars over a course of eighteen years. I mean, that's you know, if it's two seventy you're you're talking about you know, five hundred fifty thousand more that could have gone towards retirement that right. went towards raising children. Right. So yeah, it's uh it is a it's a its it's a big financial decision for sure, in addition to you know, the the emotional side and the mm-hmm. uh, of having children. Would you say it's been worth it? Oh hell yeah, but it's yeah. it's exhausting. It's sure. <laughs> it's exciting, it's exhausting, it's all those things at once. Right? Yeah. But yeah, it's 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 very rewarding for sure. But yeah, understanding understanding the financial impact is is very important.
0: Well and there's a lot of good resources out there too, right? I mean we're we're surrounded by so many just here at Lutz, but online there's some really good resources around, you know, even just I think I saw a link on here that was called Life Happens dot com where you can kind of plug in your, you know, I'm sure you're spending. Yeah, it's lifehappens.org. You plug in your spending and your your income and all that, and it helps you understand what, what type of insurance plan you should probably have. For right? sure, there's
1: never been more resources available. And if any of these, any of these topics, it's like, hey, everybody's got a smartphone now. Yeah. The internet, I mean, people have the internet versus 30, 40 years ago. I mean, you're, you're trying to find some of these these resources. It was a lot harder. I mean, there, there's great ones out online that you can use, like you mentioned, to kind of help you plan or plot this out and what this potentially would look like and estimate cost of diapers or cost of daycare. And you could probably put in your zip code and I gave you ballpark numbers, but food costs, I mean, mm-hmm. you can run all of this through there to be more prepared when that time comes. Well, and
0: it's just to know that you can do it. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's like, I just, I go back to the topic of budgeting and when I move, you know, moving from Omaha to Denver and understanding, I had no idea what the difference in cost of living would be. But plugging in a, 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 standard of living calculator online with your income, being like, oh, I can financially do this. Yeah. Right. That's. I mean, that's that's just peace of mind too. So. Yeah, for sure. Cool. For sure. Well, thanks again for joining us. Um, I'm sure we'll have, uh, you know, another fun topic here shortly. So. Yep. Thanks for having me. You've reached the end of another episode of Let's Talk Business. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast on your podcast app, Spotify, or iTunes. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to make light.